Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. When we're struggling in our relationship, one of the ways we might experience that struggle is that we have a sense that things are out of our control or that we're losing control. We might also be really affected by a sense that things are not in our control. What do we do? How do we regain control? And in the meantime, we've got to navigate this journey with this other person who has their own ideas and values and priorities and maybe going through their own challenges too. Today, we're joined by anxiety expert, Daniel Farmer, who's an avid student practitioner of acceptance and commitment therapy, which we're gonna be talking more about later. And having had such a lot of success using these skills himself, we're gonna hear about his own journey, how he came to be so passionate about this. Um, he now helps others who struggling with anxiety, a loss of control in this full on modern world that we live in. So firstly, Daniel, warm welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Matt. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk to you. And the first question I wanted to ask you is, what are the main challenges that you find people experience when they're feeling this out of control, anxiety, particularly around their relationships, but maybe in their life as a whole? What, what typically comes up for people when they're in this situation? Well, whenever there is um, some sort of conflict, because often it's conflict that leads to challenges within a relationship. Um, so we could talk about, you know, a small argument, then becoming a much bigger argument. We can see that people are often trying to strive for an element of control when they are actually feeling out of control. And they want to really kind of focus in on what it is that's bothering them at a particular point in time. And they start to think about it, how can I resolve this problem? And sometimes they can't always resolve that problem, which can then lead on to, you know, emotions of depression or potentially anger, which can lead to, let's be honest, sometimes quite unhelpful behaviours. But it's obviously there's an initial catalyst of something happens. We'll call it an argument in this particular situation that leads on to thoughts, which leads on to emotions, which ultimately leads on to behaviours. And if those behaviours are not in line with kind of what's important to us, we'll talk a bit about what I call intention a little bit later on, but if those um, behaviours are not in line with what's important to us, then that can have quite detrimental effects on our relationship with others, especially mm. our significant other as well. So um, yeah, those, those are the challenges. It's, it's, you know, it's almost like you know, we, we have this spark which can sometimes light the fire of a of a problem in a relationship and often you know when people talk about it afterwards they go i can't even remember why I can't remember why I'm, we're, we're in this yeah. position of, of this of this um you know argument what was the spark that caused it and often that's lost the, the the annals of time i see i get it so what you're saying is that from this difficult situation let's say we're not getting along or we've been having a problem a conflict about something we were it's like our efforts to try and get back into control try to reassert some control or order on the situation that then leads us to reacting in maybe unhelpful ways is that is that right that that, that is that is quite true i mean the, the problem is that nobody wants to feel out of control um but we also have this predisposition within the human brain which is called the negativity bias and negativity bias essentially means that we tend to look for the worst in a particular situation rather than the best 
So if there is an argument, we will tend to go down the negative route because that's what instinctively we feel we should do in order to, you know, in inverted commas, keep us safe. But actually, it's often, you know, the instinctive uh, response is not always the best one. Um, it's a bit like, you know, like if you get caught in quicksand, for example, you know, we use this as a metaphor within ACT quite a lot. But if you get caught in quicksand, your instinctive response is to struggle. But it's well known that if you struggle in quicksand, you sink faster. Whereas what you actually need to do is kind of gently, slowly move yourself out of the situation that you're in with a, with awareness and clarity, if you like, over the situation rather than acting instinctively. So that's what we try to push quite a lot from an act perspective is this idea mm. that, you know, the instinctive response is not always the correct one. That's a really interesting point, Dan. Um, that r- really resonates a lot for me there that, um, yeah, the, the, the first thing that comes to our mind, our instinctive response may not be particularly helpful. And I'm, I'm interested in this point about negativity bias. And what I heard there, Daniel, is it's to do with our our survival instinct. Is that right? Where we're sort of just trying to stay safe. Can you say a bit more about that negativity bias and what's going on there? I can, absolutely. So let's imagine that we were still living in caveman days. Now, at that time, we, you know, we would be struggling for shelter, we'd be struggling for food, we'd be struggling for all of those other things. Our basic needs wouldn't always be met. But if we were down at the watering hole and there was a something kind of, you know, shaking in the bush over to the left-hand side of us, that might be, um, you know, let's say a saber-toothed tiger, whatever <laughs> better, you know, description. So it's in our interest at that point to kind of move away, and that keeps us safe. In our modern first world environment, most of our needs are met. So we have, you know, shelter, we have food, we, you know, for, for the vast majority of us. We're not you know, regularly at risk of being attacked in our modern first world. But our brains are still essentially the same as caveman brains in many respects. We haven't evolved that much. So we still have this function that is on the lookout for threat. But the lookout for threat now is around the other things that are going on in our world. So, for example, if I said six things about you, Matt, and five of them were really lovely things, or at least things that you took as positive, but there was one thing that you perceived as being negative, have a guess which one that you're going to focus on after our conversation is over. That's just what negativity bias is. We tend to focus on the threat over the growth. But it's a recognition Mm. of that is what we do from an act perspective, and then be you know, be able to kind of intervene, if you like, within that process, so that we can start to create, you know, more more virtuous cycles of thinking rather than uh, yeah you know, unhel- unhelpful ones, shall we say? Anyway, I see. I guess it. No, thanks for explaining that. So what I'm hearing is that we've got this innate tendency to to veer towards the negative, the problem, what may go yeah. wrong, which you're calling negativity bias, which yeah. definitely sounds. Uh, yeah, sounds very resonant for sure. And um, I'm sure many of our listeners will will recognise that. And and what you're saying is that if we don't come to check that in some way or to come to some awareness around that, it could lead us into some patterns or habits that are not very helpful. Is that is that right? That that's that's absolutely spot on. Um, because you know the the, the standard standard sort of cognitive cycle that is fairly well understood 
is that you know thoughts inform emotions which then inform behavior which then reinforce thoughts <laughs> so if you you know if you are buying into what's going on from a negativity bias and you're really getting a lot of emotion about that and then that's driving certain behaviors which are unhelpful which we may talk about in a little while then that's just reinforcing the thoughts again and what you tend to do is you get more of the same stuff um so it, it it's uh yeah it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle or can become a bit of a vicious cycle unless we're able to yeah. intervene i get it so it becomes like sort of self-reinforcing is what i'm hearing because you're having the is, negative yeah. emotions you're feeling bad and then probably the behaviors aren't particularly helpful either and then we just get more of the same or maybe even worse correct is that right typically, typically worse yeah absolutely typically yeah, worse i see but i'm sure we'll we'll come yeah, on to some examples in, in you know in a little while where i can sort of get you know put some uh give some examples to your listeners as well of, uh, I'd love of how to, this actually happened I'd, I'd love to do that right now daniel because at the beginning i just like to establish like why this is so important and i want everyone listening to recognize how important this phenomenon is that we're we're talking about and how if we don't get to get to deal with it in some way or to break the cycle then it could cause us some big problems here yeah so just give us another example of that please Danny. i'd love to, to hear if you will yeah sure so um in a book that i was reading uh fairly recently there's uh, there's an example of a guy who's driving through his local town and out of the corner of his eye he sort of sees a uh, a car that looks a little bit like his his wife's car parked down a side street and he's just parked crossing the intersection so he doesn't really get a very good view of it um but he's kind of sat there and um he's like, was that my wife's car you know i think i saw two people sitting in the front of it and then his brain because we have this amazing thing between our ears called the prefrontal cortex which is 40 percent of our brain um it, it allows for abstract thought so it starts to think and it builds up more thinking and it goes, was that, was that a man with my wife in the car? That was a thought that crossed up. And then another thought comes from, you know, out of nowhere, which is, what if my, my wife's having an affair? And then that provokes quite a, a visceral emotion because for most people that is a that is a fear. So, you know, he starts to have these thoughts and, you know, he's start, his brain is recruiting all the memory centers, trying to pull all of, you know, the bits and pieces that he can remember together from what he just saw. And uh, the brain's also making stuff up because it does. It's very good at doing that. And there's extra bits I kind of added into the story that uh, he's not too sure about. And after a little while, you know, he started to feel quite uncomfortable about all of this. And there's a point at which he kind of has a choice. Because he can either choose to engage with the thinking and the emotions associated with it, or he can actually choose to not engage. And really, there are three choices. He can either go, actually, I'm going to uh, turn around and I'm going to go back and I'm going to check to see whether or not that's my wife's car. So there's an element of safety seeking going on there. He could also go home and when his wife returns home, ask her about it and seek reassurance. Or he could just go, I saw a car that looked like my wife's car. Maybe there were two people in it, but I have absolutely no idea, really. I've just had some random thoughts that have cropped up and not engage, not, not engage with either of those behaviours. And I think you can probably guess out of those three, which is the one that's likely to lead to a, a virtuous cycle of not getting involved with that thought process in, into the future. Because any time we go and 
reassurance seek or safety seek in some way, we're actually sending a message to our brains that we actually have something to fear. There is actually a genuine threat there because we've mm-hmm. said, you know, we've actually gone, we've engaged in a behavior that's, yes, this could be something that's actually happening. And it's us trying to apply control in a situation where probably no control needs to be applied. So you can guarantee that the person who did the safety seeking will continue for as long as they live, because they've created a frame around it now, that when they're driving through their local town, their brain will still always, you know, subconsciously be on a lookout for their wife's car parked somewhere with two people in it. But the person who hasn't engaged in that behaviour is far less likely to engage in that going forward. I see. So what you're suggesting in that point is that by stepping back and almost taking the helicopter view, you might say, or of saying, well, look, I don't know what I saw there. It looked a bit like my wife's car, but I don't really know. But I'm just going to choose not to engage, not to engage. with that thought and that, that fear, really. Is that is that what yeah. you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because the problem is, of course, that once you've created this belief system around the possibility, and let's say it is reassurance seeking that you're doing, you may actually end up going back to your partner and asking and asking and asking until the partner's going, what the heck's going on here? The partner then actually starts to think about the possibility of maybe, you know. Yeah, you plant the idea. And, 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 yeah. and, you, and you actually end up, you know, kind of creating the fear, the thing that you fear most. And that does, that's you know, an interesting that sort of point, thing, And that sort of thing can, can actually happen. Um, so, you know, Whilst I'm not suggesting that we don't ever take action and we don't apply some control to our lives, you know, when it's important to take action, we take take action. But we look at thoughts yeah. from the perspective of are they helpful and are they true? I see. Are they helpful and are they true? That's a great way to look at it, Daniel. Yeah. So in that situation, you don't talk about the cycle. That's almost like the cycle on steroids, isn't it? Because we've it not is. only sort of thought ourselves into an anxious place, but we've actually potentially made the likelihood higher of something bad happening. Um, I'm just thinking this is sort of resonance of a comment that people quite often make when they reach out where let's say a partner has been messaging people on social media or on some messenger app. And then they say, well, what we need to do, because I'm feeling anxious about this. What I need you to do is to delete the app and just take it off your phone. And it, can you see it sort of makes sense mm. in, a, in a sort of log- certain logic. But then when yeah. you stand back, you say, well, have you actually done anything whatsoever to change the possibility or probability of the person doing something anyway? I mean, how Absolutely easy can not. they re-download the app or you use some different way of messaging? And, and actually, exactly. don't we have this sense that, well, if my partner doesn't believe me anyway, my partner already thinks that I'm dishonest. Well, what's the point of being honest? Because, you know, I'm already the bad guy or bad girl. So it's almost yeah. like quite dispiriting or demotivating to even wanting to do the right thing isn't it absolutely but the interesting thing about it is that when you do ask your partner to say delete the app as you just described you do get a little bit of a bounce so the you know the the brain does give you a little bit of dopamine at that point because you've taken some action in inverted commas to keep yourself safe so for a short period of time you might feel a little bit better but the longer term <laughs> is that, you know, you really do, your dopamine levels do tend to drop off a cliff because you've not acted in line with what's important to you. And you're, you know, you do get the fears coming up again. 
and you you know you're mm. almost constantly having to go back to get the reassurance to get the dopamine hit again and you know it's not yeah. sustainable and it's not a, it's not a workable long-term solution um it's, you know it's, it, exactly you can sort of reflect i mean if for any of our listeners if they re- resonate with that cycle again it's not that we're like a bad person we're just doing our best as in daniel your words to say stay safe but the reflection is well is it really working anyway you know do i feel better apart from this immediate little hit that you've talked about daniel how about the next day when i don't know my partner goes out goes away for a couple of days i'm thinking oh i wonder if he or she has downloaded that app again i'm going to need to check when they come back absolutely i guess the reflection is is that the kind of life that you want really where you're just in that perpetual state of trying to get these micro little bits of dopamine from oh i feel a bit better about that now but actually i haven't resolved anything ultimately i think Um, the the other issue of course is that you know that that point about that question you asked of is this the life that i want to have it almost becomes a bit of a moot point because people don't know any other way to behave they they are they're, they're locked in to this sort of um i'm fearful about the possibility of x happening and therefore, there's no kind of other option for me other than to constantly safety seek because they don't know that there's another way. They don't appreciate yeah. there's another way. They're acting on instinct. And actually, I was like that as well because I had fears over infidelity of my partner at one point a number of years ago. Um, and I used the techniques to help myself. And, you know, I, I've kind of come to this you know point now where I don't, really i just it just doesn't come on my radar anymore you know the ultimately if she were to have an affair um and it did lead to the you know the relationship breakup i know that i am now bringing my best to this relationship because i'm not reassurance seeking i'm you know and i did actually at one point i was you know i was asking him and and being that kind of needy individual um but now i've just yeah. got to the point of i'm quite happy to bring my best to the relationship and if that's not good enough then it's not good enough and that's that's that's, you know that's okay but it just doesn't and because of that it's actually made our relationship far stronger you know Mm. and and, and again it seems paradoxical doesn't it that it it does it's kind of counterintuitive but yeah yeah completely resonate it it seems like you know if i hold on tight then surely that'll be safer but actually it's kind of the opposite of the truth isn't it Um, it is i just wanted to ask also about how you said that a lot of people when they have when they're in this cycle they don't even stop to consider that there's another way yeah you know, they just think well that's who i am that's the way things are um and it's i guess there's a big lack of education or awareness in this area would you say daniel because like with with some problems that you get if you're i don't know let's say your boiler breaks down most people understand that you get some help and you get it fixed absolutely but in this area that we're talking about people don't really see it like that they just think well i've got this broken pattern or process that is making me feel anxious but well that's just the way it is it's almost like my boiler's packed in and i'm just going to sit here in the cold not even think about getting someone to come and help why do you think that is daniel well part of it is actually down to the traditional forms of therapy that that we have um so people will you know seek therapy sometimes and and they will often go for things like cognitive behavioral therapy um which i think is brilliant at providing insight but insight doesn't always provoke um, promote change um 
So what we tend to do from an ACT perspective is we just say, here are some skills that we're going to teach you that will hopefully allow you to do a bit better in your life on a day-to-day basis. But it's something that you will need to practice. It's not something that, you know, I'm just going to reach inside your head, turn, you know, change a few wires around and send you on your way. Um, it's very much about, you know, here are some skills. You know, the past is immutable. You can't go back and change it in any way, shape, or form unless, you know, you've invented a time machine. I certainly haven't. Uh, but we can only change things from the now going forward. So, okay, you know, here's some skills. Start to apply these skills in your life and see how they work out for you. And, um, you know, and I can sit here and say to you, it has been an absolute revelation in my life of doing this work after spending, you know, because as a very anxious person myself, I spent many years struggling, getting, you know, different kinds of therapy, you know, counselling and that sort of thing. Um, And I got nowhere with it, but it was ACT when I really started to, to dive into that, that I changed my whole way of being. And, and how I interact mm. with the world. And that has changed absolutely everything for me. I see. That's so fascinating. I'd love to, I'd love to talk a bit more about that, Daniel, if, if we may. And mm. um, firstly, I'd love to see, for you to explain like what the difference really is. Like, So a lot of people, when they think about, oh, I'm going to go and see a council or get CBT, they they that's kind of what they know. So they just go to that. And I think it'll be really fascinating for people to understand from you, having gone through a series of different things, yeah. how you how you struggled with those and how what you've learned through acts has been so different and so life-changing okay so i was um diagnosed with quite severe anxiety to the extent that it was borderline obsessive compulsive disorder so i would go through i would cycle through various different sort of compulsions and obsessions um that that, that would happen for me so one of them was um a, about kind of causing harm to others or a concern over causing harm to others. So, for example, I was driving back from a a job uh, down in Kent and I'd gone around the M25 and I'd just got onto the M4 and there was an ambulance coming the opposite direction and it had the flashing lights and all the rest of it. And a thought cropped up in my head, which was, I've caused an accident somewhere on my journey. So I went to the next junction, I turned around and I retraced my entire journey all the way back to where I started to see whether or not I'd cause an accident. Because, of course, I'd been on autopilot in driving the car and I couldn't remember the journey. So I had to do that safety seeking thing. And you can imagine what then happened was, you know, every time I was seeing an ambulance going the other way, my brain was trying to kick in to tell me to sort of effectively go and retrace my steps to see whether or not I'd caused an accident. And it, and it sounds yeah. bizarre, even to me as the person who was doing it at the time. But what I realized was that the therapy that I was getting was very much just going over old ground. They wanted to give me insight into why I had anxiety, what, you know, what had gone on for me in the, far, in the past. And... Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, kind of first started being used in the 1950s, around the time that people started to get cars and washing machines and all these sorts of things, which could be fixed. And there was this idea uh, within the um, psychology um, and psychiatry community that people who had challenges needed to be fixed. Whereas what ACT does is it approaches it from a slightly different perspective and says, well, no, you don't need to be fixed. All you need is some skills so that you don't get so caught up in the thinking patterns, because that's what, 
you know, most anxiety and a lot of depression is about is you have a situation, you think about it a lot, you get emotions associated with that, which then makes you, you know, drives behavior, which can often be avoidance or, you know, unhelpful behavior some of the time. You know, people want to avoid things by drinking alcohol and, and that or taking drugs. And, you know, and I did and I did drink quite a lot of alcohol you know, to, to avoid my discomfort a lot of the time. So those that was one of the unhelpful things for me. Um, but, yeah, to, it was very much kind of going to see a therapist, feeling better for about an hour or two hours after the, you know, the hour long therapy session, because I get this dopamine hit of, oh, I've just offloaded some of the challenges mm. that I've had. But no practical ongoing skills, really. See. Um, and ACT is very different. ACT is like, here are some things, practical stuff. If you do these like every day, you know, only half an hour, let's say, something like that, but you do this every day, uh, you are going to see improvements in your life. And it may take time and it may be a bit of an up and down, you know, two steps, uh, sorry, three steps forward, two steps back. But ultimately, over time, you will see improvements in your situation, almost certainly um but uh, and that's where the difference comes from i think therapy is about going to somebody who's going to fix you whereas act is about going to somebody who's going to give you some skills to fix yourself and ultimately we can only fix ourselves that's such a great summary uh daniel that resonates a lot in terms of what we do as well um yeah ultimately uh, you know it's got something what what i'm hearing what I heard there, Daniel, is that it has something in common with like going to see a personal trainer. You know, you the personal trainer like shows you how to use some equipment, maybe gives you some ideas, gives you a bit of motivation or uh, instruction, let's say. Um, and then you implement and you either do it or you don't. And you that means you'll either get the result or you won't. So in a sense, it's more empowering because it's like, well, if I do the work, if I put the work in, I'll, I'll, I'll reap the rewards of it. Absolutely. So ultimately, that sounds a much more empowering way of looking at things rather than saying, well, the therapist is the one here with the power and the, the knowledge and the wisdom, and they're going to somehow yeah. do something, do some magic, and I'll, I'll be better. Yeah. It's sort of I not think, really empowering, is it, in a sense? Well, I, I think there's also sometimes a bit of an issue that when you go to see a psychologist or, or well, to a lesser extent, a counselor, but you, you do put them on a pedestal as the patient. Because it is always seen as a patient-doctor relationship, whereas ACT is very much about just two people having a conversation, or in the case of what I do, I, I'm just a trainer, training a group of people. But I'm, you know, we, we like to use something called the two-mountain metaphor in, uh, in ACT, which is I'm sort of partway up my mountain towards the top because I've been through a lot of this stuff already and I've learned some of these skills. You might be at the bottom of the mountain, and I'm looking down, and I'm able to see some of the obstacles and the challenges that might be there for you on your mountain because I'm at that higher point. So I'm just this person who's kind of almost smoothing the way, but I don't see myself as any different from you as the person who's come to me. We're just two people having a conversation. And that's, the, that's another fairly fundamental difference when it comes to act see i get it so um in terms of your own story daniel you, you struggled with these different things that you did i guess well i don't know whether you had some benefit from or the benefit was quite limited from these other kind of counseling therapy mm. but what did you get from act how, how did the how did your work with act get you into a different place where you, where you are now okay so 
I studied ACT at Cardiff University and I went on to study with another group in the United States called the ACT Matrix Academy. And what I then started to do was apply the learnings from those courses to kind of my own life to build a course to train ultimately train other people. But fundamentally there are there are kind of three main pillars to ACT, okay, which are all about awareness, openness, and intention. Okay. We're not going to be able to dive into the detail of all of those today in, in a great level of detail. But what we need to do in order to be able to extricate ourselves from the, the instinctive way that we respond to situations is, first of all, we need to cultivate some awareness of not only how we're thinking, how we're feeling, but also how we're behaving in any given situation. If we can start to recognize those things, then we've got an opportunity to intervene and realign ourselves towards what's important or who's important, more importantly, I would say, because uh, people always work better than things when it comes to the intention side. The problem is that once we do, once we first of all have awareness that we're feeling horrible, and we all know when we're feeling horrible, we have, you know, sort of uncomfortable emotions, maybe in our stomachs, we've got our mind is racing with thoughts and all the rest of it. But there are techniques within ACT called openness, which allow us to diffuse from the thoughts and accept the emotions. But it's that cultivation of awareness that really is the kind of the key to it all. Once we've got that, then we can intervene in the in the process. And essentially, I started applying all of this to my own life. I I kind of I created my own course, if you like, for myself. Yeah, uh, which is the okay. basis of what I now do. I see. And from from those things that you implemented, what were the benefits that you experienced through through doing them? Okay, so what I started to to become aware of was when I got caught up in spirals of thinking. Um. I think it's important to, to note that stuff happens in our lives, right? Pain will happen. There'll be, you know, um, the big things like a loss of a loved one, you know, unfortunately, inevitably a breakup of relationships sometimes in our lives. There'll be, you know, the minor fender bender, you know, cr crashing the car. There'll be an argument with a colleague. There'll be, you know, even fairly benign things like, you know, one of my children um, smashed a, a fairly expensive lamp in the house, you know, a few months back. And I felt a bit of a rush of anger at that point because I was like, oh. But what I didn't do was I didn't get then get caught up in the the anger from that point, which might have led to behaviour that might have been shouting at my child. He didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. So what I'm recognize, what I've been able to do and recognise is that I am able to intervene far earlier in the cycle before it gets to the unwelcome behaviour. So, and that happens in our arguments with my partner as well. So rather than allowing, you know, the argument to sort of exacerbate into a far bigger thing, it, I actually intervene earlier and go, okay, well, let's recognize what's going on here. You know, is the way I'm thinking at the moment about this discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it, is it helpful? What's it going to lead on to? Am I in the right, uh, you know, am I willing, you know, it, is is this a is this hill big enough for me to want to die on? You know, in terms of that that sort of analogy, um, do yeah. I really want to get into a discussion around it with her? Um, so it gives me space. 
it gives me the opportunity to not react in the way that I might have instinctively reacted. And that has made for a far more, I don't know, respectful relationship as well as a far more loving and connected relationship because I, I only respond when there's actually genuinely, you know, a need to respond. Mm. Yeah. And, and Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, thanks for explaining that, Daniel. That, that's great to, to hear. So from learning these skills and applying them, you've given yourself more space to think about how you react or respond in a different way than one you may have done instinctively before you, you learned that's this. Absolutely, is that, is that that's right? absolutely right, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for explaining that. And, um, yeah, so when, how, if, if someone was listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, that sounds like me, you know, I'm, I, I do feel find that I react in these negative ways and sometimes I make things much worse and I get myself stuck in a cycle and blaming and um what would you recommend that people could do? Like I know as you say, we're not going to cover everything today. The whole process is a is a is a whole a whole session, a whole separate uh, conversation. But what could people start to do if they wanted to get some leverage or just help themselves to be able to stand back from their reactions in that way? and reconsider, find better ways to, to deal with the situation? Um, well, one of the things that I would say is that whilst, you know, for a lot of people, things like mindfulness and meditation, you know, are, are a big turn off. Um, I think certain types of mindfulness can be quite effective that don't necessarily um, have any spiritual or religious connotations, which does put some people off, frankly. Um, so doing things like that, there's, uh, there's a, a mindfulness walk that I suggest uh, as part of my course, which takes about 10 minutes and it's recommended it's done once a day for about seven days. And by doing that can really improve people's just awareness to start with. Um, there's loads of kind of online ones that I would recommend anybody just go and have a look and find one and, and just try and do it for you know, seven days or so and that will help them to become a bit more aware of their body and how they're thinking how they're feeling and that sort of thing so they can catch it mm. but the other thing that i really like as a, a really simple tool is that when you've got some awareness you you start to recognize when the, the thoughts come up when they're a bit more challenging and i liken it a little bit like a monkey sitting on my shoulder banging a drum saying dan pay attention to me i'm you know Banging the drum here, pay attention to it. Yeah. And what I do, and this is this is one of the act techniques called uh, cognitive diffusion, is I actually turn my head over, because I, I imagine him sitting on my left shoulder, I turn my head to the left and I say, thanks, Fred, because I've called him Fred, Okay, this little guy called Fred. And yeah. I know it sounds a bit bonkers, because people have said to me previously, Dan, it, you know, why are you saying thanks, Fred? Obviously, I won't yeah. usually do it when I'm in company. I might say it in my mind rather than out loud. But um, just by that little act of saying thanks, Fred, is an acknowledgement that you've said, yes, okay, I've heard you. I've taken that on board and I can now move on with whatever else that I'm doing. If you start to try to avoid that thought or you try to, or you get too involved in that particular thought, especially if it's unhelpful, that's when you tend to exacerbate the problem. So this diffusion technique is a way of defusing away from it. Because in ACT, we say yeah. that when we get caught up in thinking, we are fused 
with thoughts. So these techniques of defusion are a way of simply kind of letting them go. And the thing is that next time Fred comes back and is sitting on my shoulder banging a drum about the same thought, because he probably will, it's a little bit quieter than it was last time. And if you yeah. continue to perform these little techniques, the drumming just gets quieter and quieter and quieter until it doesn't really bother you so much anymore. And that's the beauty of ACT. But as I said before, you know, it, doing ACT does involve a little bit of work, a bit of skills. We need to learn how to do this stuff. It's not, again, something where we can simply switch over a few little uh, wires in the brain and expect it to work, unfortunately. Yeah, of course, we, yeah, that's helpful. So you're really developing a habit there, aren't you, of, in that sense, not buying yeah. into Fred, but just saying, thanks for that, Fred. And now I'm going to get on with my day and do whatever I choose to do. That's, that's really fun. I, I, I definitely like the, like the idea of doing it out loud and just seeing how people react. Like it's quite a it's quite a pattern interrupt to people they're like what that's yeah it's not really what people are expecting but yeah it's sometimes things that are a bit unexpected like that can can really work can't they to yeah they can to, they to can certainly uh, and they can certainly uh you know break ice in in you know other social situations as well and people are what well, you know and you can start to talk you know have a conversation about mental health then and uh you know once once people understand this stuff it uh it can really inform a lot of conversations which is hopefully what I can I can do with this that sounds really worthwhile to do that Dan and um, I just want to come uh, my next point was you've got a blog uh which is entitled control is the problem not the solution yeah and I'd love for you just to describe that because that's quite a it's a different way to how many people think about it you know a lot of people think well control is what I'm looking for is the answer but you're saying in that blog and the video that the control or maybe looking for control in that way is actually part of the problem. Can you just say a few words about that? Yeah, absolutely. So as, you know, again, as human beings, you know, we want to kind of control um, our surroundings and our situation and all the rest of it. And I'm not certainly not saying that control is inherently bad. Absolutely not. We need to have some control in our lives. But we cannot control all aspects of our lives. We can't control what other people will may or may not choose to do, even if we have particular expectations over that. We can't always control all the thoughts that come into our head because we've got this amazing brain. You know, we've got the biological equivalent of, you know, a super sports car between our ears. Um, and it's what's allowed us to create this amazing world around us today and why we can talk, you know, remotely and record podcasts and all the rest of it. But there is a dark side to it. And the dark side is that we tend to get thoughts. We don't like a particular thought that crops up. Therefore, we want to control our response to that particular thought. But ultimately, what ends up happening is we tend to get more of it. So we then try to apply more control. And I liken it a little bit like holding a bar, a slippery bar of soap, soap in your hand. You know, you, you squeeze tightly onto that bar of soap to apply control. What happens? It flies out of your hand. You lose control of it. Yeah. Um, sure. It's a little bit, you know, like that. Um, so you know, control isn't inherently bad, but if you try to apply too much of it, you end up actually paradoxically being in less control. And that is what the yeah. Learning Act taught me. And that is what I've yeah. learned to do in my life is to give up a lot of a lot of the things that I used to try and control. And it has led, led, left my life a lot happier and it's 
improved my relationship no end. I see. That's fantastic. I love that um, analogy. I like, I like the soap analogy too. That's right. If you squeeze <laughs> on to it too hard, you actually get the opposite of what you want. If exactly. you're trying to hold on to it. So that's a great, great analogy. Well, look, I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, Dan, this morning. Thanks so much for your time and uh, sharing your message with us. How can people keep in touch with you? What's the best way for people to find out more about what you do? Sure. So, um, well, I've got a website which is uh, www.anxious-2-zen.com. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel, which is www.youtube.com uh, forward slash at anxious-to-zen-ish. And uh, people can email me on dan at anxious-2-zen.com as well. Um, I'm up. I'm going to be running uh, an online event on the 6th of March as well, uh, which is available on Eventbrite if uh, people want to look that up. You just type in Cardiff and uh, Anxious, you, sh you will find it. Fantastic. Well, we'll include all those links down in the uh, in the notes for the show as well, so people can get those from the uh, description. So thanks for sharing those, uh, those links. And um, yeah, I'd really encourage everyone that wants to find out more and to learn more about what Daniel does, she sounds like really needed and fantastic work. So, um, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Um, Daniel, give us one final message or uh, a final takeaway that you want to leave our listeners with today. <laughs> well, what I would do is I would say that this work, I think, is, is incredibly worthwhile, certainly within our modern you know, uh, existence where we have so much information thrown at us every day. You know, our, our brains are problem-solving machines. So the more information we throw at our brains, the more connections we make and the more potential problems because negativity bias we uh, we see. Now, it's no coincidence that, you know, the, there's been a huge increase in um, all uh, demographics, but especially children in terms of mental health challenges over the last 20 years. Um, uh, but this, I firmly believe, by teaching our kids this is something that we, as you know, as parents, we're parents, um, will will leave a lasting legacy for our, for future generations if we can start to teach this stuff at an earlier age. Um, because yeah. frankly, we're not doing it very well at the moment. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us, and please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.